Amen. Good to be together today. Uh, my name is Jeremy, and I get to be uh, one of the pastors. Such a joy to just be with the church, to sing, uh, to pray, and to open up the Word. If you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to Luke chapter 4. Uh, if you have chocolate chips that I gave you, uh, or that Mariah gave you, hold on to those till a little bit later. I'll give some instruction on that. Uh, but glad that we're together today. I love the way uh, that you, church, love one another so many different ways. Even just the, the simplicity of like uh, either sharing a meal with someone or when someone's in need, giving a meal to someone. Such a gift that our church has stepped up a, a lot, and we've needed to a lot lately, in just providing meals for each other. Thank you. Uh, thanks to the Barhide family for providing a meal for us for to celebrate uh, with Awana families this, this last week on Wednesday. Many of you, though, uh, seeing people in need, signing up, saying, yeah, I'll bring a meal to somebody this day, and we're just very thankful that you do that. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at Luke chapter 4 today, verses 31 to 44. Here's one thing that we're going to see clearly today. The words of Jesus have power. We saw earlier in chapter 4, Jesus spoke the word of God and caused the devil to give up until a more opportune time. We've seen already, and we're going to see more, when Jesus taught, people listened and lives got transformed. Jesus spoke with clarity and with authority, and we're so grateful that we have so much of what Jesus said written here in the very word of God, yet... We live in a time where no one seems to have a very good idea of what is good and what is true. So if Jesus is the truth, then why do so few people listen to him? We also know that Jesus' words have power to heal. Some of you have experienced that. You have prayed and God, either through miracle or through medicine, has healed you. And so we see that, but at the same time, others are sick. You're feeling it today, and you haven't been healed, or someone that you love very much, you've prayed for them that they would be healed. God has power to do it, yet they have not been healed. If Jesus has power to heal, then why isn't everyone healed? Jesus has power over evil. Some of you have been delivered from it personally. And as evil as our world is, I'm amazed at how often times good things happen. But the world is still filled with evil, hate, injustice, people being tormented by a combination of spiritual oppression and mental health issues. And if Jesus has power over evil, we wonder, well, why isn't evil done away with once and for all? Today we're going to continue with this introduction to Jesus' earthly ministry in Luke chapter 4. Last week we saw that teaching was at the very center of it. Jesus claimed to be, we saw last week, the long-expected prophet and Messiah who came to proclaim the good news to the unaccepted, but himself, remember when he came to his own town of Nazareth, he himself was unaccepted by those who expected to be the ones who were accepted. Today, we're going to see further proof of who Jesus is. We're going to hear for the first time in Luke a phrase that we're going to hear a lot in this gospel, and that is the phrase, kingdom of God. 
we're going to spend some time looking at what that means and what that looks like, and we're going to get a glimpse or a little taste of what it looks like when Jesus comes and speaks words of authority, not only in his teaching, but also words of authority over and against demons and diseases. We're going to see all of that just in this passage today. If you're able to, would you stand? We're going to pray, and then we're going to read the very Word of God. Let's pray. Father, it is a gift to be together on this day. I'm grateful uh, that, that it looks a little bit like spring. We're seeing grass turn green. But we also know that the grass that is now turning green will wither. The flowers that are now in bloom will fade. But we are thankful and we stand on this that your word stands forever. And so I pray that today, even as the Word is planted or watered, that you, God, would do what only you can do, and you can bring about growth. So by the power of your Word, working through your Spirit, would you even now cause growth, conversion, new life to take place uh, as we hear it? In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31 and going through verse 44, God's Word says this, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues. Of Judea. Amen. You can be seated. Well, in your, in your bulletin there, uh, sermon notes page outline, you're going to see that the outline really kind of goes along with, the, with place. We're going to see Jesus move from place to place, uh, and that really forms the outline of the message today. First, we're going to see that Jesus is now in Capernaum, and we're going to see authority in teaching and authority over a demon. 
Up on the screen, you see the map, same map we used last week, but last week he was in Nazareth when we were looking at the passage. Now he's up north, so in the same region, Galilee, where he had grown up, but now up in Capernaum. This is going to become in many ways his home base for his earthly ministry. And just so you get a sense of what Capernaum was like, notice, if you can see that map, you notice that Capernaum is right on the north part of the Sea of Galilee, and Capernaum existed as a fishing village. They estimate anywhere between 600 to 1,500 people lived in Capernaum. Okay, so, so not huge, bigger than some of the other little villages around it, but you know, if you're saying about 1,000 people live there, a small fishing village on the north of the Sea of Galilee. That's the setting. And what is Jesus doing there? Well, we saw last week what Jesus does as he teaches, and that's what we see him doing again. Verse 31, you heard me just read it, so I won't read it again, but he is teaching and he's doing it on the Sabbath. Like last time, likely gathered with people in the synagogue, right? So this is where Jewish people would gather on Saturdays, their Sabbath day. They'd gather in these places called synagogues, and there Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. The response of the people is very favorable. Verse 32 says this, and they were astonished at his teaching. And it tells us why his teaching brought about astonishment. Here's why. For his word possessed authority. We're going to see that word show up again. His word possessed authority. Listen, if they went to the synagogue every Sabbath, they had heard a lot of different people teaching. There's nothing. Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching from their scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. We call it the Old Testament, right? This is what he would have been teaching. They've heard people teaching from these scriptures their whole life, but Jesus, his word has authority. I had to look up just the, the, the Greek as the original language of Scripture. We use authority in lots of different ways in English. So I looked up, what does this mean in the original language? And here's, here's what I found. Authority is the ability and freedom to act. The ability and freedom to act. That's what Jesus has. They're noticing that when Jesus teaches, he has the ability and freedom to cause things to happen through his teaching and through his words, right? There's a lot of times where maybe as a parent, you feel like your word has no authority. Like, I say this and nothing happens as a result, right? Jesus, though, is speaking as one who has both the freedom and the ability to speak something and make it happen. Right? So that's what Jesus is doing in the synagogue. They're recognizing this man has authority in these words that he's teaching. So we see a Jesus authority in teaching, and then in verses 33 to 37, we're going to see his authority over a demon. Just some background before we jump into this. Remember that earlier in chapter 4, Jesus had victory in the wilderness over the devil himself. The devil himself tempting Jesus. Remember the devil, his whole purpose is to destroy the work that God has done and is doing. Right? So that's what the devil does. But the devil doesn't work alone. At the end of chapter 4 verse 13, we saw that the devil left Jesus until an opportune time. But we're going to see throughout the gospel, 
according to Luke, we're going to see those minions of the devil, demons, unclean spirits. Luke, by the way, uses those pretty interchangeably. Unclean spirits, demons, right? These are those that work in the service of the devil to do the work that the devil wants done. The devil wants to destroy the works of God. That's what the demons or unclean spirits come to do, to torment people. They're evil beings sent to torment people and thus destroy the work of God if they can. And there seems to be one man in the synagogue. We don't know if he's there every Sabbath, but he happens to be there this Sabbath. And he is being oppressed by one of these unclean spirits or demons. And when Jesus, the very Son of God, shows up and demons are present, there's about to be a battle. And so, verse 33 says this, In the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. So here's the demon crying out, Ha! What have you to do with us Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us, right? So there's battle language. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, is the demon right? Does the demon know the truth about Jesus? Yes. Stuff that other people maybe don't even get yet, yet the demon knows the truth about who Jesus is. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Holy One of God. What is Jesus going to do? Look at verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Note this, Jesus doesn't have these, other people in that day would have tried to cast out demons and and, and accomplish things with some level of authority. But, but they would often, they would use something, some sort of incantation. They would use some sort of ritual, some kind of leaves or, you know, whatever they would use. But Jesus, what does he do? He just talks. He rebukes. It says, verse 35, he rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And what happens? We'll just keep reading the verse. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm, and they were all amazed and said to one another, now listen to this, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. What is this word? And again, we hear, with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. What did Jesus tell him to do? Be silent and come out. What did it do? It was silent and it came out. How did it do it? By the word, by the authority of Jesus' word, by his power. And what's the result of this? Verse 37. Verse 37 says, And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. I love this. I love when, when good wins out over evil. I love that the reputation of Jesus begins to spread. And we shouldn't be surprised about that. That still happens in our day, doesn't it? When people see or hear a display of power and authority, word spreads. Even if it's happening in some little fishing village on the north of the Sea of Galilee, a little place called Capernaum, but the reputation of Jesus begins to spread. Most of you know that I grew up in the state of Minnesota, 
West Central Minnesota, a small town there, but went to college uh, down here in Iowa at Northwestern in Orange City. Uh, so going to college there, a lot of my friends were Iowa people. So I had to learn some Iowa things. I had to learn that I had an accent. I didn't know that I really did uh, until then. Uh, but, but one of my friends uh, who became my roommate for a couple of years, he was from Humboldt, Iowa. And when he was in high school, he played on the basketball team in Humboldt. He wanted me to come back and meet his family and see his home and all of that kind of stuff. And he wanted me to come on a time when I could watch Humboldt, his old team, play basketball. And, and, and this was the late 90s, and, and there was this reputation that had spread in the late 90s of this small town in Iowa called Iowa Falls that had this player named Nick Collison who was playing on the team, and he was really good. So I, a kid from Minnesota, never heard of this place called Iowa Falls, but my friend from Humboldt says, you got to come and watch uh, my team, Humboldt, play, play this other town. So I went to his home and we got to watch a, a game, and Iowa Falls, of course, won that game uh, that time. But, but the reputation of one person who played basketball with skill and authority, unlike other people, there's other people playing basketball, right? But he was really good at it. So that started to give him a reputation that spread beyond little Iowa Falls, Iowa. Same thing that's happening here, Jesus doing these great works, teaching and casting out demons with authority in one little fishing village, but suddenly his fame begins to spread. So Jesus' popularity is on the rise. That's what we see in verse 37. I love this. When we see Jesus versus demons, who wins? Jesus. Right? But Jesus didn't just stay in public places. He was doing this out in the open, in a synagogue. But did you hear what comes next? Verse 38. Now we're going to see Jesus come into a home. Verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law, which means Simon was married, right, was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. So she's so sick, she can't even appeal on her own behalf. But those that love her and care about her appeal on her behalf. And what does Jesus do? Some, some crazy ritual kind of thing again? No. He stood over her and rebuked the fever. Earlier we saw Jesus rebuke a demon. And what did the demon do? It left. Now Jesus rebukes a fever. What does the fever do? And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Well, it doesn't take long for word to spread in this small fishing village that there is a man here who can heal people that are sick. And all sorts of people are sick. And so what do they do? Well, they show up. Look at verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Jesus uses his words. He rebukes a fever, and the fever leaves Simon's mother-in-law. That's authority. And then many more with various diseases come to Jesus. He's not a specialist, right? Any kind of disease that comes, he knows how to treat it. He rebukes it, and it leaves. By the power of Jesus' word, by his authority... Sicknesses go away when it's Jesus versus diseases who wins. Jesus, right? And then verse 41, 
tells us this, and demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God, but what did he do again? He rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Jesus, we saw last week in chapter 4, verse 18, came to set at liberty those who were oppressed. And there were many in that day who were oppressed by demons. And Jesus comes to set them at liberty, to set them free. Imagine a whole life or, or months or weeks or however long these people have been oppressed by these, these evil spiritual forces. They come to Jesus and in a moment, gone. Demons, leave. Jesus rebukes them. Now notice this. Jesus tells them to be silent. And Luke adds the comment, because they knew that he was the Christ. Question, that's true. And in part, Jesus is doing these miracles so that people would know who he is. So why, when the demons are saying the truth about who he is, why does he tell them not to talk? Well, I think a couple of reasons. In part, it's the timing. In time, God would progressively be revealing who Jesus was. But for now, God's plan seems to be that Jesus' identity is hinted at through miracles, but not overtly stated. And, and I think probably more importantly, the second reason is this. God's plan was not for the demons to be the ones to testify to the truth of who Jesus was. God's plan was not for demons to be the one who would testify to the truth of who Jesus is texting with Mark a little bit about this this week, and one of his friends told him it was inadmissible testimony, right? We're not, we're not taking their word for it. Oh, people will come to know that Jesus is indeed the Christ, but they're not going to be hearing it from demons. And so Jesus tells the demons to be quiet, and they're quiet. He tells them to leave, and they leave. Jesus is proclaiming good news. It's not good news for demons when Jesus shows up, but it's good news for others. All right. Then we've got one final place, verses 42 to 44. It says in verse 42, and when it was day, so this is the next day, this is Sunday now, he departed and he went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. What do they want from Jesus? They want Jesus to stay. You remember the account from what happened in Nazareth when Jesus went into his hometown. Were they begging him to stay? No, they took him to the edge of the hill and wanted him to die. But here in Capernaum, they're begging Jesus to stay. Is Jesus going to stay? I mean, look at it. Of course they want him to stay. He's, he's teaching with authority. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. They want Jesus to stay, but Jesus says this, verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. His ministry continues to spread, and his ministry centered on this preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. This is, like I said, the first time that we're seeing this phrase in the gospel according to Luke, and we're going to see it again and again and again. So really quickly, let's get a, a bitter, a, a bitter, hopefully not bitter, a better grasp on what what this means, this, this phrase, kingdom of God. If you want the simplest definition, it's just this. 
kingdom of God is where God reigns. Kingdom of God is where God reigns. That's his kingdom. It's where God reigns and rules. Jesus has come to preach the good news about God's reign. And Jesus himself is a central part of the Father's plan for his kingdom. In fact, the kingdom of God is ushered in by the person of Jesus. And what we're going to see here, we see it a little bit, and we're going to see it throughout the gospel according to Luke, is we're going to see a glimpse of what it looks like when Jesus teaches and preaches with authority, when, his, when he displays his authority with his power over diseases and demons, we're just getting a taste or a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like. I want to dig a little deeper into that, so that's where we're going with application today. We could go so many different directions, but I want to leave us with some hope that things will get better. I started out the sermon by acknowledging that some of you have personally experienced the authority and power of Jesus to heal diseases. Right? We could have some testimonies here today of people that would say, here, here's where I was, here's what the doctors said, and here's what Jesus did. Right? And we could praise God that he heals. Yet we could also hear some testimonies of, here, here's, where, here's where my health was. Here's people that prayed. Here's how many times I prayed, and guess what happened? I'm still sick. Guess what happened? It got worse. Guess what happened? The person that I loved and prayed for who was sick, they died. Right? So I started out the sermon acknowledging that. I acknowledge that we live in a world where people don't know what the truth is, and it often feels like evil is winning in our world. So the question is, if the kingdom of God comes in the person of Jesus, then why are people still sick and dying, and why does it feel like evil is winning? If the kingdom of God came in the person of Jesus, why does it feel like evil is still winning? Why are people still sick and dying if Jesus has power and authority over those things, and the kingdom of God comes in the person of Jesus? Here's the short answer. In the first coming of Jesus, we have a taste and a guarantee of what is to come. But the complete reality of what is to come is not here yet. That comes when Jesus comes again. That's what we're waiting for. That's why we sang songs that helped us long for together that reality. That Jesus is coming again. And so here's, here's, here's what's happening right now. The kingdom of God is already here because Jesus has come. And the kingdom of God is not yet fully here because Jesus hasn't come again. Okay? So already and not yet. Go ahead, take out your bag of chocolate chips. Okay? It's time. Uh, take out your bag of chocolate chips. Now, in the Nelson house, we have one rule when we're baking. Okay? Well, two rules if you count wash your hands. Okay? That's one of the rules. But, but the other rule when we're baking is if the recipe calls for chocolate chips, while we're baking... Before putting chocolate chips in, whatever it is that we're making, we must test them out. Whoever's around must test these things out, okay? Uh, and so that has been our practice, and we use, we use the good stuff. We think chocolate chip brand matters. Nestle Toll House is the good stuff. That's what you have in the bag in front of you right now. Chocolate chips are good on their own. That's one of the reasons we test them, 
uh, before putting them in because they're good. Now, go ahead and eat one or two or whatever you have in your bag. Share If you've got a bag to share with other people, please share, okay? Go ahead and eat it. It's pretty good, isn't it? I, I like a good chocolate. Did you get one, Pastor Nick? Okay, good. I, did, I, forgot, I realized I forgot to give one. Um, okay. Excellent. Here's the thing with chocolate chips. They're really, really good. Like, you could have more than one. Like, I gave you one, or maybe you got to have two, and you're like, huh, I'd do another one. If you, like, if you gave me another one, I'd eat another one. But you know what's even better? It's even better when those chocolate chips get added to a mixture of butter and flour and white sugar and brown sugar, a little bit of salt, a little bit of baking soda, shaped into a ball, put into an oven, so the edges get a little bit crisp and the center remains soft and gooey. We call it a chocolate chip cookie. And that's even better than a chocolate chip, right? Chocolate chips are good on their own. And when you taste the chocolate chip, it gets me hungry for a fresh chocolate chip cookie. When Jesus came the first time and displayed his authority over demons and diseases, when he displayed his authority in his teaching, we got a taste of what it looks like in the kingdom of God when he reigns through his son. And that's like a chocolate chip. It is good. Simon's mother-in-law was really healed. Demons were really cast out. The kingdom of God had really come in the person of Jesus. But have you ever thought about this? That Simon's mother-in-law got sick again sometime and died. Right? That, that's what happened later. The demons that would leave one person that were cast out of one person would go find another person to mess with. Right? In the nearly 2,000 years since then, Many have been healed, either miraculously or medicinally. But millions have suffered. Think about this. In 2,000 years, millions have suffered abuse, slavery, oppression, and diseases of all kinds. Wars have raged on, and it often has looked around the world like evil is going to win. People we love have battled ugly diseases where their lives just kind of uh, start to fade and crumble. People even now in our church are feeling chronic pain. People are enduring sleepless nights filled with anxiety, fighting lies and attacks of the enemy. This is the reality because the kingdom of God has come, but it's not yet complete. It's already here, but it's not yet all the way here. In the first coming of Jesus, we see how the kingdom is already here. Not only did Jesus teach, heal, and cast out demons with authority, where we see it most clearly is that Jesus dies the death that we deserve to die, that he is buried. And I'm not going to read all of it, but Ephesians 1, 19-23, write that down, read it, meditate on it, pray through it, and rejoice through it later. Ephesians 1, 19-23, it tells us this, that the Father raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand, putting Jesus 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and giving Him the name that is above every name, putting everything under His feet and putting Him as the head of His church. So in a very real sense, even now, Jesus rules and reigns. The kingdom of God has come. Our crucified and risen Lord reigns from heaven, and this is good, and it's just the chocolate chip. We are waiting for something even better. Like the cookie, when everything is finally, once and for all, put back together. When Jesus comes back for all those who trust in Him, we will get to be with Him forever. Aren't we longing for that? And the more brokenness we feel in us and see around us, the more we long for that. That this is really happening. Jesus is really coming again for His own. And we will be with Him where He is. I was going to read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 and 17. But on Wednesday night, when we had our Awana Awards night, a young guy named Tucker uh, got up and wanted to recite that in front of everybody. And so rather than hearing it from me, hear it from second grade Tucker, who is going to proclaim the truth of 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. Let's go ahead and listen in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Praise God, right? Praise God for kids learning those kinds of truths, proclaiming them to others. That is the hope. Whether you're a kid, whether you're a young adult, whether you're an old adult, this is the hope that we have. That Jesus is coming again for His own, and we will be with Him. We are assured of this for all who trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, for all who have submitted to Him as the one true King. This is our hope. The good news of the kingdom of God for sinners and sufferers like us is that the best is yet to come. God's reign which is tasted and seen only in part now, will one day be complete at the return of our King. Jesus is coming again. And in His kingdom, we hear and we hold on to this promise of how it will be. Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You that that is what we are waiting for. And I pray for any who are here today who, who uh, do not yet know and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they would, they would see 
the reality of where they are headed, separated from you forever, enduring punishment for their sins, but that they would hear the good news today that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he has been raised, that he reigns right now, is seated on the throne in heaven, and that he will come again for his own. Father, we thank you for the taste of the kingdom that we get in a passage like this where we look at the authority of Jesus during his earthly ministry, in his teaching over disease, over demons, and we acknowledge that we're forgetful. We're prone to sin. We're sick. We're hurting. We feel powerless against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We know that we have no hope for victory on our own. So we give you thanks that for all of us who have been saved by your grace through faith in Jesus, we can be assured that you God who reigns, God who has infinite power, that you, God, are for us and not against us. If you were against us, we couldn't stand. But since you are for us, even when we stumble and fall, we live with hope, awaiting the return of our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Go ahead.